0: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This will be the third and final message on this musical theme. There will be a quiz at the end of the message. So try to pay attention if getting the answers correct matters to you. So we're going to start by actually attacking the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're going to start with psalms. So five points on the psalms. And point number one, the psalms are authentic, real-world prayers. In the prayers of the psalms, you can, you can hear the life circumstances swirling around, can't you? You can feel the waves, the threatening waves in, in the life of the one praying, looming on the horizon. You can sense the temptations and the nagging worries. You can feel the gut-wrenching griefs. You can find what is joyful in their life, and you can find what is hurting, like crazy because of betrayal or loss. In the real world I think you've learned this by now, haven't you You don't need really neat theories about God. You need God. And the Psalms express that real-world need for the reality of God. So that's point number one, they're real-world prayers. Point number two, the Psalms, they're good for you. They're good for your spiritual health. I read a book by a pastor who prescribed to a lady in his church as her medicine to out loud read, but out loud pray the Psalms, all of them. She's like, all of them? Yeah, all of them. Out loud? Yes, out loud. Shut the door. Get by yourself. And when you pray them, get into the character. Pray it with the emotion that's appropriate for what the Psalm is conveying. Don't just read them. They're not literature. Pray them and get your heart, dig into them. She did not make it to the end before something snapped in the depth of her soul. And the thing that snapped, she came back and was like, you're not going to believe this. And he's like, oh, I bet I will. I was around the 30s or 40s, and this deep, stubborn self-will that has ruled me all my life broke. And God took his rightful place on the throne of my heart as king. The psalms are good for you. That's point number two. Point three, the psalms are meant to be accompanied with instruments. Have you noticed this? The little subscript at the beginning of each psalm usually tells you what kind of style or mood the music should be, and it tells you what instruments to play. Scriptures mention... Wind instruments and stringed instruments and percussion instruments and celebratory trumpets. Now, if that doesn't sound like a modern rock band, I really don't know what does. We're told in Scripture, in Scripture, see, it's not, it's not, it's not the Bible that is a stick in the mud. Just because some of the church is a bunch of sticks in the mud doesn't mean the Bible is. In the Scripture, we're told to shout. Shout and to clap. We're told to sing. We're told to dance. We're told to bow down. And we're told to raise up our hands and lift them up to the Lord. We're told to make a joyful noise to the Lord. If the ancient Israelites would have had modern sound amplification technology, my money is on, they'd turn it up. Loud. Yeah, my wife would be like, oh, does church have to be so noisy? (laughs) There's a song, and I believe it was Kiss, that sang, God gave rock and roll to you. Can you hear the chords, Ray? Give rock and roll to you. Put it in, nobody's singing along with me. Put it in, I hear it, put it in the soul of everyone. All right, okay. That's point number three. The Psalms are meant to be accompanied by instruments. Point number four, the Psalms are the enduring legacy of David's passionate heart of worship. They are his enduring artistic, artistic creative legacy. How many of you know Moses never commanded, never commanded for full-time musicians, instruments, songwriters to be funded? You remember this? Moses did not. It was David. It was King David. Moses built out the sacrificial system, the priestly system, but the only mention of music then seems to have been situational in nature. He wrote a song. It's a beautiful one. Miriam wrote a song. It's a beautiful one. He wrote, actually Moses wrote some of my favorite Psalms. But what you didn't have is the organized, uh, musical, artistic, creative emphasis. In David's time, he's the one who elevated the musical aspect of worship to a completely new level, He appointed musicians. He brought in instruments. He selected key songwriters, appointed choir leaders and music teachers who were recognized as having been anointed by God for those things. Who crafted the lyrics, y'all? Who wrote the songs? They did. Who composed the music? They did. Who played the music? They did. Who sang? Everyone did. All Israel under David became God's choir. So why did God choose David instead of Saul as king? Because he was a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14. A man after God's own heart. John the Baptist is said to carry the spirit and power of Elijah. That's a fascinating idea, isn't it? That, that something about the, the, the attitude, the function, the spirit, the tone, the heart of Elijah is transferable to another person. And what was the spirit and power of Elijah? It was one of repentance, returning to the Lord to prepare the way for the Lord. What if the spirit and power of David is available? And what would the spirit and power of David be? I believe it would be something of a mantle for worship and a hunger, a hunger, a thirst for God's presence. Psalm 27, 4 One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his shelter. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be held high above my enemies around me. At his tabernacle, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music To the Lord. The Psalms are the enduring legacy of David's passionate heart of worship. And the fifth point is built on that one is this the same Psalms that are his passionate legacy, they bestow a creative mandate on us today. Nobody should beat the local church at promoting grassroots creativity for several reasons. One of them is because we believe that everything exists for the glory of God. Another one is we believe that everyone is gifted by God. You believe that? Yes. Every single person has a contribution? Yes. That every single person has built-in spiritual gifts, but also Holy Spirit-given gifts? Yes. Yes. Yes, Nobody should beat the church at the promotion of the creative activities of people, art, poetry, music, songwriting, painting, sculpture, novels, plays, blogs, photographs, buildings, interior decoration, cooking, gardening, landscaping, making clothes, whatever, whatever. I have a theory, and that is that the flesh part of us defaults to consuming stuff, but the spirit in us defaults to creating things. See if that tracks. The children of the Creator are creative, especially when He pours His Spirit out on us. Does that track? Here's just a few well-known musicians who got their start in church. You ready? Ed Sheeran. Whitney Houston. Aretha Franklin. John Legend. Justin Timberlake. Some of you will need to know this man. Corey Henry. Carrie Underwood. Britney Spears, uh, D. Snyder from Twisted Sister. You youngins know Twisted Sister? Yeah. Usher, Bobby McFerrin. Oh, I love Bobby McFerrin. Jamie Foxx, Faith Hill, Sam Cooke, Marvin Gaye. I'm pretty sure a bunch of you could name name after name after name of musicians you love who got their start singing in a church praise team or choir. And do you know how crazy it is how many Uh, major artists, their parents, or their grandparents were pastors. I don't have the answer for why that is or what that's all about, but there's something of an anointing that seems to trickle down, and the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. He doesn't withdraw them. If you you use your gifts for your own glory instead of his, he's not taking it back. It's our choice to do what we want with what he put in us. But anyway, David's legacy puts a mandate on us To continue that creative work of fostering, you know, y'all creating and contributing and shaping and forming the world. Because you are creative, made in the image of your creator. So that's just some brief points on the Psalms. We could say more. We have said more in the last two sermons. Let's move on for a minute and talk about hymns, shall we? When you hear the word hymn, what do you think of? Do you picture pews, and an A-frame, and chandeliers like these, and hymnals, and do you smell the pages? And are they maybe a little yellowed? And do do the pages when you breathe them in make you think of an old library? I do. And that has nothing to do with biblical hymns, nothing. Neither does four-part harmony, stanzas, verses and all of the things that we associate with what we western modern white people call hymns yeah when paul uses the greek word whom nos and the colossians then have this letter read to them they didn't think of that what they thought of in other words what is a hymn to paul what is a hymn to the colossians what they thought of was a musical poem. I have a slide for this. Is this up? There we go. A musical poem that told of the great struggles and victories of their heroes. So a hymn was a song commemorating their generals, their soldiers, their Caesars, and their gods. The mighty exploits, the sufferings and the victories of the heroes of old. That was what they thought of as a hymn. There's a minstrel in Monty Python's quest for the Holy Grail who is sarcastically criticizing the cowardice of brave Sir Robin. When danger reared its ugly head, he bravely turned his tail and fled. I never. Brave, 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 brave Sir Robin. Ah, I didn't. Yes, brave Sir Robin turned about and gallantly he chickened out. I didn't, no. Swiftly taking to his feet, he beat a very brave retreat. Bravest of the brave, brave Sir Robin. No, I know I didn't. This is an anti-hymn. The minstrel is singing an anti-hymn. Just I want you to feel what a hymn is and what it's not, instead of the Western modern word. Okay, so we think of of a hymn as sort of the the. There's Coca-Cola, and then there's Diet Coke. There's hymns, and then there's praise choruses. No, no. That's not, that's not the Bible stuff. The Bible stuff is, well, I'll show you. Somebody could say, well, it's too bad we don't have any hymns from the primitive church, the first church. You know, wouldn't it be great if we did? Wouldn't it be great if we, if we had some song lyrics that the early church sang to Jesus on, on Lord's Day when they gathered to worship? Well, we do. We do. I'm going to... Would you like to... Would you like to hear some? All right. I'll, I'll give you one. If it helps for you to close your eyes and just soak in this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The, the visible And through him to reconcile to himself, whether things in heaven or things on earth, all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Woo, dogs, that is some theology up in there. That is a hymn to Christ from Colossians chapter 1. One of the earliest songs the primitive church would have sung. And so Paul, when he says, let me remind you who your Jesus is, And he reminds them of a song that they know and they sing, but they don't live like it's true. They sing a big Jesus, but they live a little tiny Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if we would just believe what we sing? It'd be crazy. Here's a verse from a modern hymn. You can sing it along. There in the ground, his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Can you now see what I just described? We are commemorating the great victories of our Savior. That's a hymn. let's talk about spiritual songs. See how fast we're moving? We had psalms, we're hymn, now we're already on to, it's crazy how fast we're moving. What in the world does Paul mean by the phrase spiritual songs? I see at least two options here, and they don't need to be mutually exclusive. In other words, they can both be true, but they don't quite mean the same thing. Option one would be that the phrase spiritual songs is a catch-all term for any music that is spiritual in nature, or maybe in other words, any music that is edifying to the faith. And option two would be that the phrase spiritual songs has to do with the means through which the song comes. Put it another way, it is music that comes from the Spirit, or through the Spirit. Tongues come from the Spirit, prophecy comes from the Spirit, and spiritual songs would be like tongues or prophecy. Songs emerging from getting influenced by the Spirit of God so that what flows out of you is inspired in some way. And I don't mean you add it to the Bible because it's authoritative, that's not what I mean. I mean revelatory music. Songs that are in step with what the Spirit is praying and saying and yearning and longing in a moment, in a situation to say. I lean obviously towards option two. You can tell that by me making it option two instead of one. Here's a verse from 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing praise with my mind. I have friends that would say that anytime it says pray in the Spirit or with my Spirit, that it only refers to tongues. Well, I would say it includes tongues, but it is not exhaustively tongues. In other words, if you are prophesying, you are speaking from the Spirit of God. And if you are praying in tongues, you are speaking from the Spirit of God. Here's what I hear. You sing the lyrics with your mind, but you sing the melody and the feeling with your spirit. Who's tracking? It'd be weird, wouldn't it, if you took tongues, a prayer language, and you wrote it on a page, and then when you decided to get in the spirit, you would just read it off the page. That really wouldn't be praying in tongues, would it? Your mouth would be mouthing tongues, but it wouldn't be coming from your spirit because it's not coming from the feeling, the feeling of the Lord that's in the heart in that place. Are you tracking? Have I lost you? Do I need to circle back and catch a few stragglers that fell off the bus? So Paul's saying, I'm going to pray with my my spirit, but I'm also going to pray with my understanding. I'm going to pray with this part of me, but I'm also going to... I'm going to sing with this part of me and I'm going to sing with this part of me. I'm going to sing words I understand. So my mind goes, yes. But I'm also going to sing in the spirit so the feeling comes through. Augustine says it this way. Augustine says, He who has sung well has prayed twice. Where's he getting that? He's getting it straight out of 1 Corinthians 14. When you've sung well, you've prayed twice. You've, pray- you've prayed with your mind and your mouth, and you've prayed with your spirit and the music, the melody, the feeling. He who has sung well has prayed twice. This, by the way, means that a guitar solo can be a prayer. Yeah. And I kind of grew up with people, if somebody took a guitar solo... It'd be like, well, that's not appropriate in church because he's showing off. Well, maybe he is showing off. I don't know his heart, but I know this. If his heart is a heart of worship to the Lord, the Lord's hearing that spirit and those notes and that melody as a prayer, that might have been the best things prayed that morning. Or he might be showing off. God knows. God knows. But if what I'm saying about 1 Corinthians here is correct... If the, if the, for us English, for them Greek, right? If the English is praying with our mind, but the feeling is praying with our spirit, then the guitar solo can be a prayer. Now, let me go one further. That's how David cast demons out of Saul. He prayed through his harp, and his harp drew the Spirit of God, the peace of Christ, And what does the peace of Christ do, according to Paul? And the peace of Christ will what? Guard your heart and your mind. The peace of Christ is a more powerful warfare tool than all the affliction and strength of the evil one. That's a better strategy. I had a friend who had a demon in college, and people were trying to, I don't know, the wrestling match exorcisms. You know, let's yell and let's push on their head and let's get them to the ground and let's fight them. No, grab a guitar, let's worship Jesus, and let's let the Lord handle this. Shoof, the peace enters the room. Suddenly his his, his common sense returns to him, and then we say, what doors did you open to come under this affliction? And he finally fesses up to the sins that he's been clinging to. And he had a a history in the occult and things, and there was some goofy stuff. Okay. We're going to... So, if you pray in tongues and someone interprets it, it's basically a prophecy that took the long way around the barn, right? Do I need to repeat that? So, if you pray in tongues and somebody else interprets it and a third person receives it as the word of the Lord, they got a prophecy. It just took the long way around the barn to get there. Are we there? So if you get a song improvisationally from the Spirit of God, then you take it home and you develop it and at add a, add a bridge and whatever, and you work on the lyrics and you craft it according to that original inspiring spark, and you stay faithful to that original spark, but you fill out the rest of the form, and you craft a hymn about the, celebrating the works of Jesus. You wrote a hymn, but it started as a spiritual song. Is that allowed? Yeah, that's how Open the Eyes of My Heart was written by Paul Baloche. He kept singing over and over in services. Oh, Lord, we need you. We're going to open this Bible, but unless you breathe on us and give us revelation of who you are, it'll just be religion. It won't be relationship. We need you to open the eyes of our understanding. We need, so he would just be, and he'd just be strumming on an e-chord, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And he'd just say that and pray that. He found himself praying that. And all of a sudden he goes, maybe if, maybe I could take that and take that home and amen. <laughs> and then he, div- and he goes, who saw the Lord in the Bible? He goes, who saw the Lord? Isaiah saw the Lord. Where's that? Isaiah 6. So he goes to Isaiah 6, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He goes, ah, there it is. High and lifted up. And he goes, and this train of his robe fills the temple. Well, that doesn't rhyme. What else can I say? And he's picturing the sun, the brightness of the sun. You can't even bear to look. And it's shining in the light of your glory. So it started. It's like a train. His train is moving. And that's what the angels are praying. Holy, holy, holy. You are holy, holy, holy. You are holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. So spiritual songs, nowadays, modern people will call them spontaneous worship. And I'm like... Well, sometimes they are, but sometimes you planned on, we're going to do this, then we're going to get here, and you're going to play the A minor, and then you're going to make something up to the Lord, and then they're at home practicing what to make up to the Lord when they get there. I go, come on, guys, that's that's allowed. That's allowed, but don't pretend that's, a, that's not actually spontaneous. Come on, man. But who's tracking with what I'm saying? There, There is a, there is a prayer that in the moment is from the Spirit, and you let it out. There are times when I'll just play a G and I'll tell y'all, sing whatever. Sing your song. And, and that's what I'm saying. Pray the prayers that are in your heart that we don't have the right lyrics for because you've got stuff going on in your life that these lyrics don't perfectly address. But you've got a prayer that you want to pray. Set it to music and let it fly. Okay? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Who's ready for the quiz? Ending quiz. Question one. True or False. True or false, the Psalms were originally chanted in unison, a cappella, and only by the priests. No, but that would be a perfect description of medieval Gregorian chant. The Psalms were not uh, chanted, they were sung, together, not in unison, and uh They were not a cappella. They had the band, and it was not just by the priests. It was by the whole people. So there you go. Question two. This, this is multiple choice, this biblical king is credited with bringing about Israel's golden age of musical worship. Was it A, King Josiah? B, King Louis from Disney's The Jungle Book? Is it C, B.B. King? Or is it D, and I love B.B. King, live at the Regal, D, King David. David brought about a golden age in Israel's life of musical worship. Question three, what local grassroots organization has helped produce more singers than just about anyone else? And we didn't even mean to. I mean, we got our heads so far in the sand half the time, it's the Spirit of God doing it through us in spite of us half the time. But if we know this is a good idea, then can we just give people a shot? It don't have to be perfect, but we'll learn as we go, and let's get going. Question four, true or false, a hymn is an old song with four verses, and the fourth one's usually about heaven. (laughs) It (laughs) might be true. And the third one's about the rapture. And we threw out the other three that they were a little too political. Um, no. A hymn is is a poem set to music that commemorates the mighty saving works of the Lord. Question five. Your friend says it's just too bad that there aren't any early church hymns that have survived. It would have been cool to hear what the very first Christians sang. How do you respond? Yeah, you say, well, we we got Colossians 1, but here's another one. Here's another one, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind in you, the hymn hasn't started yet. This is Paul about to start the hymn. He says, have this mind among yourselves in relationship to each other. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Now he starts the hymn who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he humbled himself and became a man. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself further to obedience, even obedience to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the highest, the highest place, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus, Messiah, is Kurios, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's a hymn, guys. Everyone agrees that's one of the earliest hymns. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I do too, Ray. He did, yeah. Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples and then they went out to the Mount of Olives and he began his prayer time and then it got harsh after that. Okay, so that was question five. Question six, true or false, when Saul was tormented in spirit, when Saul was tormented in spirit, David would pour oil on top of his head and then shout really loud to scare away the demons. That's false. What he really did was he punch him a little bit. No, no, he didn't. No, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No. What did he do, guys? He played the harp, and God's peace did the rest. And final question. Finish the quote from St. Augustine. The person who has sung well has prayed twice. Good job. Good job. So during worship, the Lord kept showing me about his love, and... And it's funny because he showed me like basically like him splashing his love on us. And what he said this morning to me, some people need a little love splashed on them and some people need a lot of love splashed on them. So if the altar team can come up here and if that's you this morning, if you need a little love splashed on you from Jesus or you need a whole lot of love splashed on you from Jesus, come up here and get it this morning, okay?